So if you want to see a sunrise, you're going to have to watch the sunrise behind me here. But it is so great to gather as God's people and to know that as the sun, I was about to say, rotates around the earth, we know better, but to us, that's what it looks like, that's what it feels like. As the sun comes upon us, out of a place of darkness, so we think about the risen Christ coming upon a world and having defeated darkness. And there is no darkness that is ever defeated by light. And even the smallest candle will defeat the greatest and deepest darkness. But we're not just celebrating a little candle of light, we're celebrating the one who gives power to the universe and the one who gives life to all things. And so uh, we are very excited to be here this morning, and it is so apt to do this part of our message here this morning and thinking about, I don't know if you noticed some of the lyrics this morning, you know, in the dawn here, welcoming you here in this place. Some of the images from the songs this morning are going to be kind of coming up to us again. Can you see my face now? Okay, now the lights are in my eyes. You can see me. I can't see you, but it's all right. But as far as the Easter weekend typically goes, we were here on Good Friday, and if you weren't with us, we were still thinking about the death of Christ. And then, of course, we've got this middle day, this day that doesn't have a name, but we know that God was doing His best in this so-called darkest hour. And then we come to this day where we think about the risen Christ and everything that that means. But for those of you who don't know, uh, we've been journeying through the book of Exodus, and we've been looking at how the, the story of Exodus points forward to the story that we're celebrating this weekend, and we're trying to allow just our imaginations maybe go, go beyond some of the cliches, whether it is the Exodus story or the Easter Friday story, and kind of build up our insights and our holy imaginations here, building these dots and these connections, and hopefully building deeper roots into our faith in God, who He is, and what He's done. And where we left off on Good Friday, uh, and, and just to catch you up for those of you who haven't been with us, we've been looking at how God's people started in slavery in Egypt for many, many generations. God raised up Moses to be His representative and His mouthpiece Moses says to Pharaoh, let my people go. Pharaoh stubbornly refuses, and God brings these strikes, these heavy blows against Pharaoh and against Egypt, and he brings these plagues until we get to the 10th and the final plague, the death of the firstborn son. A, a, an incredible tragedy, but if we think about all that Pharaoh was guilty of, oppressing God's people, killing a whole generation of Hebrew boys, not listening to God's voice, and that's kind of the, the straw that broke the camel's back, to, so to speak. And Pharaoh eventually reluctantly lets people go, but God's people were saved on that night, and for a very specific reason, they ate a very specific meal where they had to take a, an unblemished lamb in the heart of its life, take its life, eat it, roast it, but take its blood and put it on the door frames. And that mercy was available to anyone who would do that, and as this destroying angel came over Egypt in, the, in that time, so God's people were spared because of the blood of the Lamb pointing forward to the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed for us on that Good Friday. But before we dive in 
One of the themes that came up in many of the songs that we sang this morning were the themes of toil and the, the themes of, of struggle. And many things can rattle our faith. And I don't know if you've ever had that kind of sense of unfairness. Lord, I'm a Christian now. I'm one of your children. How is it that life is still so hard? How is it that life still seems so unfair I thought you're supposed to be looking after me now. I thought life's supposed to be a breeze. We're new creation. We're in Christ. We've got this Father God in heaven, and yet life can still be so hard. And maybe to use a metaphor here that some of you are familiar with, if you're married, you know what this is like. Because when you're in primary school going to high school, you look across at someone and you think to yourself, yo. If only I could be with that person for the rest of my life, I would be so happy. In fact, I would be eternally happy. And of course, whoever that person is chops and changes as we go through the phases of life. But we get to that point in time where one day we're standing before God, we're standing before others, we're standing before the person that we are absolutely convinced is the person who's going to make me happy for the rest of my life. And on that day, they are making you happy. And then you get to day two, <laughs> or week two, or, or month two. Some of us get there faster than others. And you're like, what? What's going on? I thought this is supposed to be the best season of my life. I'm spending every single minute of my life with my best friend and my, you know, just my wife or my husband. I don't understand why life is so hard right now. We've done the big thing. We've, we've done the, the wedding. We've trusted God. We've done the right thing. Why is it that life is still so hard? And I think that's such an apt metaphor for us here. And so if you've wondered about that, I think the story of Exodus and the gospel is going to be an education for us. Okay, I hope that doesn't do anything strange for us this morning. But let's pick up from where we left off after the plague the 10th and final plague on Good Friday. I'm going to read from Exodus 12, verses 31 to 36. During the night, after this devastation, Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and said, Up, leave my people, you and the Israelites, go. Worship the Lord as you have requested. Take your flocks and herds as you have said and go. And also bless me. He recognizes a greater power here. The Egyptians urged the people to hurry up and leave the country. For otherwise, they said, we will all die. So great was the power of God displayed on that night. And so the people took their dough before the yeast was added. This is the unleavened bread and carried it on their shoulders in kneading troughs wrapped in clothing. The Israelites did as Moses instructed and asked the Egyptians for articles of silver and gold and for clothing. And the Lord had made the Egyptians favorably disposed towards the people. And they gave them what they asked for, and so they plundered the Egyptians. And so this begins the exits, the exodus. The, the word exodus literally means the road out of slavery. Then we get to verse 17. And when Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country, another part of the ancient Near East, another people group, Though that was shorter, for God said, if they face war, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. 
Now you must understand that these uh, Israelites had for the most part forgotten who God was for multiple generations. They'd been in Egypt for 400 years. More than likely, they'd taken on Egyptian religion and worship of the Egyptian God. And while they were still God's covenant people, and in a sense were not worthy of Yahweh, Yahweh was like, I'm still earning these guys' trust. I've just done this incredible thing, but I know the first sign of trouble, they're going to turn away from me, so I'm going to take them this other route. Archaeologists have also discovered that along the Philistine route were Egyptian military bases and places for them to get water. So God knew what he was doing by taking them this other route. Verse 21. And by day the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light so they could travel by day or night. I mean, they didn't know where they were going. They'd been slaves. They never had any maps, and so they had to trust God's leading towards freedom. And so then what happens is, uh, I'm just skipping forward a few verses here, is God leads them through this route and he eventually gets them to the point where they are confronted by this body of water, the sea before them. And I can just imagine what this might feel like for the Israelites because, okay, great God, you've done this incredible thing. You've taken us out of this horrible slavery. You're leading us towards freedom. And here we've got this ocean before us. I mean, this is not a, a camp out. And so they're saying, okay, great. All we need to do now is get over this ocean. What's going to happen to us now? And things heat up very quickly. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, Pharaoh and his officials changed their minds again about them. and said, what have we done? We have let the Israelites go and have lost their services. As far as they were concerned, their the economy was built on the slave nation. So he had his chariots made ready and took his army with him. He took 600 of the best chariots. This is like the modern equivalent of bringing 600 tanks. Along with all the other chariots of Egypt, with officers over all of them. As Pharaoh approached, verse 10, the Israelites looked up, and there were the Egyptians marching after them, and they were terrified and cried out to the Lord. Remember, they're trapped by this body of water in front of them. They don't know how they're going to get through it, busy figuring it out, and then an army starts coming from behind them. They're at a dead end, and only death is pursuing them from behind. What on earth is going to happen next? You know, sometimes we look at the Israelites in stories like this, and we're like, ah, stupid Israelites. Ah, faithless Israelites. I mean, if I was there in that moment, I don't know if I would be any different. I think I'd be freaking out as well. Moses, what have you led us to? And so what do they do next? Verse 11 and 12. And so they said to Moses, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone. Let us serve the Egyptians. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the deserts. And so they're angry. 
And so what do they do? They look at the visible person who led them out of there, and they blame him. Just by the way, if any of you lead anything, whether it's just leading in your family, leading in a business, leading in a school, leading in a church space, and, and you just want to maybe spend some devotional time with God just to kind of grow your character and grow your leadership, hang out with Moses and let God speak to you about Moses' leadership and his experience of leadership, and I guarantee you that God will strengthen you. Exodus 14, verses 13 to 14, so Moses answered the people, do not be afraid, stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. I love these final words. You need only to be still. In other words, don't run for the hills. Don't freak out. Don't bring out whatever swords or broomsticks you have and try and fight the Egyptians. Death before you, death behind you. Just be still and trust God. What happens as the army gets closer, this pillar of cloud and this pillar of fire representing this angel of the Lord and, and the visible presence of the Lord moves and intercepts the Egyptian army and becomes this barrier. And so there's these hours where the Egyptian army couldn't get to God's people. And we get to verse 21, and then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and all that night the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind and turned it into dry land, and the waters were divided. Now, as I try to take notice of these details here, it kind of changed some of my Sunday school and movie ideas of what this looked like, because in my mind's eye, and kind of my immature imagination. Moses just kind of puts out his hand with the staff in his hand and boof, the seas just part before him. And this is a different story. As night comes on, Moses is standing there and this wind starts blowing. It can only be an incredible, mighty wind. And I don't know if you've ever stood on the beach when the wind is going crazy and the, the sea is being built up, even if you're standing on the shore, and in many ways you know you're safe, it's a frightening experience. And so Moses is literally standing there for hours, and the wind is getting more intense. The sea is getting angrier and angrier. These waves are building up. This wasn't this thing that happened in a few seconds. And the Israelites are thinking to themselves, what's going on here? And then as the army was behind them and before them, this crazy wind, this darkness, these waves, the waters divided. And in verse 22, it says, The Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with the wall of water on their right and with the wall of water on their left. And once again, this is in the middle of the night. It's not this little stroll through these waters, this wind is blowing, and I'm sure it's a tumultuous and pretty scary. 
As they got to the last hours of the night, what the story tells us is that God threw the Egyptian army into confusion. The wheels started coming off their chariots and they they started freaking out because, remember, they've just been through these ten plagues where God's evidence was there. God's arm was shown to be powerful and mighty, mightier than their gods, mightier than Pharaoh. Suddenly they realize, oh wow, that same God is still with them. And so they, they figure, look, we need to get out of here. And so they try and turn around. And then as we get to the morning hours, the dawn, so apt for us this morning, God's power comes in once again judges this human evil and he allows the waters to come upon them and no Egyptian survives. I think there's something so powerful about this story. But I want to join a number of dots for you, not only the dots to the cross as we're going to be doing in a second, but maybe think to yourself just how many times God's might and God's power, God's deliverance, comes through the waters. Think about even Genesis chapter 1, God's spirits hovering above the chaotic waters of the deep. Think about God dividing the waters to bring about His creation. Think about Noah's ark, God's people saved through the waters. Think about Moses, Moses' life the deliverer of of Israel, saved through the waters. Think about this story. Think about the people of Israel being taken through the Jordan, once again into the promised land, but through the waters. Think about Jonah, saved through the waters. In fact, what the New Testament does in the book of 1 Corinthians, it even connects our baptism to this story in Exodus. I mean, this kind of stuff just gets me so excited because God is so in this. Think about the Passover. Think about that this is the moment that people start trusting God. This is the moment where God's power broke the evil that was before them. This is where God's people were spared because of the shedding of blood of the Lamb. And then they go through the waters and they engage this new season as a new people, even with a new timeline, with a new identity. And yes, they continue to face some trouble, but they're also on their way to experience the fulfillment of God's promises. And in the same way as you and I encounter Jesus in Good Friday, whether it's Good Friday itself, Or just as God works in our lives, we encounter the crucified Christ and we trust Him. And the blood of the crucified Lamb covers us and we are saved from God. We're given a new identity and then we go through the waters of our baptism. And we enter this new world with a new identity. Yes, we continue to face some struggle but we have these new promises we can hold on to and we know that God will be faithful to take us completely to the promised land. Finally, verse 30 and verse 31. That day the Lord saved Israel from the hands of the Egyptians. 
And Israel saw the Egyptians lying dead on the shore. And when the Israelites saw the great power the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and put their trust in him and in Moses, his servants. I mean, if I think about that moment, I almost need you to take a mental breath because of the drama of the story from, from slavery into this moment, this insight, maybe we're going to be set free, into the drama and the chaos of the plagues, into the, the crisis of the tenth and final plague, trusting God, being sent out, finally we're free. Oh, wait, we're not. We've got a sea before us, an army behind us. But then once again, God takes them through the waters into this new place. Talk about a roller coaster of faith. Talk about a roller coaster of trust. I mean, I thought faith was supposed to be easy, right? And so here's just the big thought that I want for us this morning as we start heading towards the communion table together. That the challenges you and I face don't change what God has done and where He is taking you. I'm sure those Israelites doubted who God was when that army was coming up behind them and they were at this dead end. But I'm sure that they finally knew that God was for them. This, by the way, wasn't the last challenge that God's people would face. They were going to be facing channels from without, challenges from without, challenges from within, their own sense of Egypt still within them, but those internal challenges and those external challenges still didn't change what God has done and where He is taking them because God is faithful to complete what He has started. And so as we go to the communion table, I don't know what challenges some of you are facing. I don't know, I don't know just this sense of this dead end before you, this army behind you. I don't know what that maybe represents in your life. And I know that it gets very real when it looks like there's no way out of here that, oh, clearly this faith thing isn't working anymore. It doesn't look like God is going to bring me through this. And I wanted you to think about the Red Sea. I wanted you to think about the Egyptian army and what God did there. Some of the challenges that were still going to face the Israelites. I want you to think about the disciples on that Saturday who realized to all, who thought they realized, oh wow, this is a failed Messiah. This is a dead Messiah. Clearly God is not doing what we thought he was doing. But then Sunday came. And not only did the actual sun rise, but the Son of God rose from the... <coughs> Excuse me. The Son of God rose from the grave, defeating death, defeating sin, defeating all of our enemies. And so as we go to our communion table this morning, I don't want to rush this. I want you to think about your challenge in light of Easter Sunday, in light of this story. And though you may be called to trust God in, in such deep and powerful ways, that we can look to what God has done, where He is taking you. We can look at the cross. We can look at His victory. 
And we can have faith for the steps that we need to take in this life, in these next few days, weeks, months, and years. And so we're just going to have some music playing gently in your own time. There's a table here, a table here. There's also a table at the back. Go and take communion and do some work with God. Trust Him in this moment with your challenges. And then we will worship together.